Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Grad School Fem Touring Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Yvette, Chicana academic coach, author, and speaker. And I'm going to start today's episode by telling you a little story about this episode. I initially had intended to record this episode while doing an IG Live, and I did attempt to do that. I followed through from beginning to end. Um, but unfortunately, during the IG Live, I had a lot of interruptions. It was my mistake that I didn't silence my phone. And so I had several phone calls and interruptions that got the IG Live, it, it, the IG Live got cut off several times. And then on top of that, it actually impacted the sound of the recording. So I went back to try to re-listen to it to make sure that it was fine. I was doing the, the editing. I usually edit the beginning and end of the episodes just to make sure that they sound okay. And the audio was really choppy going in and out. Um, and it just was not good. So as a result, I'm re-recording this episode and we'll see how it goes. I am not on IG Live and I decided not to publish that um, that IG live on my Instagram feed because I didn't like the interruptions and it just wasn't, um, it wasn't a great recording. So we'll start all over. I'll attempt to do it again another time, go on IG live while recording and hopefully in the future, it'll go a little smoother. So today's episode is all about how to overcome dissertation writing anxiety and I'm going to talk about six specific ways to do that. Why writing anxiety? Because I have directly experienced writing anxiety. A lot of folks that I work with may not even realize it, but they're actually struggling with writing anxiety. Um, and so if you're struggling with long form writing, if you're working on a dissertation, if you're working on a proposal and you're struggling to make progress, it's useful to figure out what's at the root of it. And if it is writing anxiety, we'll talk about it a little bit more. And hopefully some of the advice I shared today, some of the tips, insights will help you to regain momentum in your dissertation writing. So what is writing anxiety? When I talk about it, I'm using it to refer to a phenomenon that induces feelings of fear, stress, uncertainty when engaging in any form of writing. So if you're a graduate student, it's probably when you're engaging in academic writing. And there are a lot of reasons why you might fear writing or you might be feeling um, a sense of writing anxiety. And some of us are more susceptible to it than others. I, for instance, am more susceptible to it because I also struggle with generalized anxiety disorder. And so I'm susceptible to a lot of different types of anxiety. And 
that may be the case for you as well. Sometimes writing anxiety comes uh, as a result of a lack of confidence. Maybe you've had bad experiences with writing. Maybe you've had bad experiences with learning language arts in general. I was in English as a second language courses in elementary school, and I had a bad relationship with reading and writing. I often thought that I was bad at it because I struggled with it. And I brought those limiting beliefs with me to graduate school and continued to think that I was terrible at writing. Um, and that's not necessarily true. A lot of us are also not taught that writing is a multi-step process that involves lots of drafts and writing messily, writing badly, writing, you know, zero drafts or what some people call shitty first drafts and then cleaning them up and then revising them and then editing them. And a lot of us don't know, um, at least in undergrad, um, a lot of times you're not taught about the publishing process. So you don't know what goes on behind the scenes to get something to the level that it's at when you're reading a peer reviewed article, for instance, or a book, for instance. So all these things can contribute to you feeling like you're not good enough, and low confidence and increased writing anxiety. All right, so let's talk about these six things and how you can combat them. Let's get straight to it because in my former recording, it actually felt like it dragged a little. And so this time I want to get a little bit more to the full, to the point. So here are the six obstacles I'm going to talk about. The first one is procrastination. Second one is lack of motivation. Third one is time management. Fourth one is um, struggling with the research process. Fifth one is struggling with how to address feedback. And the last one is dealing with imposter syndrome, imposter phenomenon, and imposterization. Those are the six things. The first one, procrastination. But let me just say that I know that some of us are more susceptible also to be to experiencing procrastination than others because if you're a neurodivergent, some neurodivergent folks are distracted easily, and that's just part of the way that your brain works. But there are things that you can do to help um, to minimize distractions. Sometimes procrastination is not about distractions. Sometimes it's about fear of failure. Sometimes it's because you're confused and you don't know how to get started on something, so you're avoiding it. Maybe you're procrastinating because you're waiting for motivation to kick in. Maybe you're procrastinating because you're not really prioritizing it. And so you're not making time for it. And the more you procrastinate, odds are the more likely you're going to experience anxiety about writing. And so what do we do about procrastination? I have found that one thing that helps me to reduce um, distractions and focus a little bit more is having a reward system. I actually, um, yesterday I was checking my Facebook and I got a Facebook memory. And one of the memories was an image of my laptop from grad school. It was a smaller laptop than I have today. And it had an image of my um, project management dashboard. I was using Kanban board or Kanban flow, um, which is similar to Trello, which is a way of organizing your tasks. 
And so it was an image of that. And then it was also an, um, a picture of my desk with a sheet with columns of the different days of the week and a bunch of stickers on it. And what I was doing was I was doing a sticker reward system so that every single time I addressed a comment on a dissertation chapter and I had lots of comments, I would give myself a sticker. And that was how I got myself through a lot of the dissertation writing and revision process. It was with rewards. Rewards can look like anything. It's what works for you. It could mean after working for 25 minutes, I'm going to go out on a 10 minute walk. It could mean I'm going to take a bath. It could mean I'm going to call a friend. It could mean I'm going to watch a show. It could mean you name it, you know what works for you as a reward. Um, another thing aside from rewards that could help you with beating procrastination is um, co-working with someone. I'm a huge fan of co-working. It could be in person, it could be online, it could even be with a stranger. There are websites like Focusmate. I've used Focusmate before where you're, you're paired with a random stranger and you work together online. And so try it out. I used to feel a lot of shame when I was a grad student because I thought, well, I shouldn't need to co-work with someone. I should be able to do this work on my own by myself. And now I embrace it because I there's some things that I still to this day don't love doing or avoid doing or seem hard for me or overwhelm me. And when that happens, I use my precious co-working time. I co-work with someone at least once a week, every week. I use that time to tackle the very difficult tasks I have going on that week. Um, oh, another thing to help beat procrastination, and you'll want to take note of this. Please, 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 if there's one thing I really want you to remember about this episode, it's, it's these two things that I'm going to say right now. The first is to give yourself permission to be a bad writer, to give yourself permission to make a mess. I um, remember attending a dissertation it was a, some sort of writing workshop um, at UCLA in the writing center many, many years ago when I was a grad student. And somewhere, someone said, first you make a mess, then you clean it up. And that has stayed with me. Some people say, write drunk, edit sober. I'm not a fan of alcohol. So that one doesn't quite work for me. But I do like first you make a mess, then you clean it up. I, rem I remember that all the time. And so I allow myself to write badly, to make a mess, to just write without any inhibitions, if all the mistakes that I make, and that's okay, especially for your first draft, which no one has to see quite yet. Um, and then the other thing I want to say that's very, very important is to reframe what you count as writing. There's so many things that you can do that can count as writing. You can take notes while you're reading something. You can journal out your thoughts and feelings about why you don't want to do this. You can record a voice memo on your thoughts of the um, related to the topic and then transcribe it later. You can work on a thought bubble or a mind map to connect different ideas together. All of that counts as writing. So next time you think you didn't do any writing, think, well, were you thinking about the project? Did you work on it 
in some way, shape, or form, in some facet that can eventually be put on the paper, okay, then you're working on your writing. So that, those are very, very important. <laughs> they hopefully will help you also with combating procrastination and minimizing your writing anxiety. So now let's talk about lack of motivation because there's one myth that I want to debunk right now when it comes to motivation. A lot of people think that they have to wait to feel motivated to get started on their writing. And this unfortunately is not true. And the most consistent people who do things do it even when they're not motivated. When you think about an athlete, you think they want to work out every single day? Probably not. There are going to be days they don't want to do it, but they do it consistently. Why? Because what is it? Um, I, I don't even know what the, what the quote is, but the point is that the motivation comes after the action. So doing something before you even feel like doing can actually help you gain motivation. So next time you don't want to do it, why not a two minute rule of I'm going to do it for two minutes. I think this, this rule I got from the book Atomic Habits by James Clear about the two minute rule is just try for two minutes. If you want to go out for a run, just tie your shoes, laces and put your shoes on and step outside. And if after two minutes, you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. Um, some people, you know, may make it into a five minute rule. I usually make it into a 10 minute rule. Like I'll tell myself, do I really, I don't really want to ride my, my bike today, my stationary bike. Then I'm like, okay, I think I can do 10 minutes. So two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, it doesn't matter. A sh very short amount of time. See how you feel after. If you feel good, keep going. Maybe you might get the motivation because motivation often comes after the action. And so that's what I want to say about motivation. And um, <clears throat> the other thing I wanted to mention about motivation is that motivation a lot of times comes from goals that we set for ourselves that are intrinsic, that are internal, that are related to our passions and the ways that we want to grow as individuals, excuse me, as individuals. Whereas um, things like writing a dissertation, a lot of times they're more external, they're extrinsic. It's a milestone that's required for you to get your PhD, your advisor and committee members are expecting you to do this. It wasn't your brilliant idea to write a dissertation. And um, <clears throat> even if it's a topic of your choice that you really love, the fact that this milestone is external, is extrinsic, might make you feel less motivated to do it. And so that's why I want to remind you to not wait on motivation. And instead, to um, find a way to increase that sense of urgency of why you're doing this. Because sometimes that urgency of realizing, oh, wow, I only have two years left in my program. And if I do the math and all the chapters I have to write and the revisions, that means I don't have a lot of time. That means I should be doing X, Y, and Z this semester. Um, that urgency of, wow, I don't have a lot of time. I need to get it done so that I can graduate and finish and leave and move on to the rest of my, to doing, to working on the other aspects of my life. That can help you um, to sustain motivation when you are struggling with it. All right. 
let's talk about what else do I want to say about motivation. Let me see if I um, have any other. Oh, the other thing um, about motivation is again the uh, external accountability to meeting with the peer can help with um, increasing your motivation. And writing down the reasons why you're working on your dissertation will help you. I know that one reason why a lot of people aren't able to change habits, let's say they want to develop a new habit, a positive habit, and they're unsuccessful, is usually because of one of two reasons. Usually because you either are um, don't have a strong enough why or are unsure or don't know the how. So if you don't know how to do it, you're not going to do it. If you don't have a strong enough reason to do it, you're not going to do it. And so in this case, lack of motivation, you're working on a dissertation, reminding yourself, why are you getting your PhD? Why are you writing this dissertation? Why are you working on this research? Why does it matter to you so much? That's going to help you when you're feeling down, when you're feeling like you don't want to work on it. Okay, next up is time management. And I want to say that sometimes people think it's time management and it's actually writing anxiety that's getting in the way of them prioritizing their writing and working on it. But I also know that graduate students tend to have a lot on their plates. You might be teaching, you might be presenting at conferences, you might be publishing, you might have one, two, maybe three part-time jobs. I had three part-time jobs in grad school. At one point, you might have a full-time job. You might have personal obligations. There's so much going on. And I get it. They're important. But also, your dissertation, if you want to finish, at some point, it's going to have to be important, too. And so prioritizing and reprioritizing things regularly is going to help you to put your uh, to take your dissertation seriously and make the time for it and work on it when it comes to the time management. Another thing when it comes to time management um, is creating a timeline. And this timeline can be a monthly timeline. It can be weekly. It can be um, annually too. So most of the time when I work with folks, I ask them to create an annual timeline, at least one year, and then split it up into months because every week is different. Some weeks are, you know, some weeks things happen, you know, uh, but monthly there's some things that you can expect yourself to get done every month. Um, but having that timeline is going to give you an aerial view of what you're expected to do to graduate. And it's going to give you that impression of realistically how much time you have to work on your dissertation. You might think you have a lot of time and then you look at your timeline and you realize, wow, I actually don't have that much time because I have to work on chapter one, two, three, four, because I have to work on revisions or because I have to work on an intro and conclusion. And so just keep those things in mind. Have a, have a, a create a writing timeline. I even have an episode on how to write a dissertation writing timeline if you want to check it out, if you want to try that. Um, and then lastly, time management. Don't let the overwhelm get to you. Remind yourself constantly, prioritize and reprioritize. Um, it's really easy to let other things get in the way 
Um, but at some point, something's going to happen that's going to light that fire under your butt to get it done. In my case, I was just over it and wanted to leave. And actually, I finished my dissertation before, a, like a, a year before I even filed. And I only stayed an extra year because I needed funding. And I was able to get another dissertation year fellowship. But I was ready to go. <laughs> I was ready to leave. And that might be the case for you too. You might be working on a proposal and just getting started and realizing, okay, I really don't want to spend more than two years here. So I really have to focus and um, spend time and not expect perfection and turn in a good enough draft to help me move on. Okay, the next thing uh, that I'm going to talk about is struggling with the research process. This is completely understandable. You might be working on a project that just keeps making you go in circles, you're going on rabbit holes, you're working on experiments that keep failing, maybe you are unclear about the methodology, maybe it's a topic that's new to you, maybe it's not even your topic, it's your advisor's topic, maybe somebody else suggested that you work on this and this wasn't your idea to begin with, you name it, there's a lot of things that could impact your ability to write when you're working on a research-related project. A lot of graduate students don't receive enough guidance too to effectively perform the methods, the studies, the interviews, the survey, you, whatever you're working on, close readings um, to then write their dissertation. And so it's easy to get frustrated and then to avoid it altogether. But I don't want you to avoid it. What do I want you to do instead? If you can't get the support that you need from your advisor, and no advisor can provide you all the support you need. No advisor is perfect. If you can't get that support, you want to lean on other mentors and femtors. Find other people. It could be committee members. It could be other folks in your department. It could be in other departments. It could be from uh, support from peers. It could mean taking a course to fill in certain research gaps, to learn certain methods. You could sit in on other courses. You can get input from others, ask others for feedback. Um, research difficulties happen. I just want to normalize that and to remind you that it's up to you to keep trying, to ask for help, to do things differently until something works. <clears throat> All right, now the next thing I'm going to talk about is when you struggle with receiving feedback. This is common because a lot of professors are not taught how to give positive feedback, how to praise you, how to acknowledge the things you're doing well. Instead, they're taught to critique. And a lot of graduate students are not taught how to receive feedback, how to properly address uh, feedback and revisions and make time for it, and how to deal with the very difficult emotions that can come up when you receive a lot of critical feedback. And um, what can you do about this? If <clears throat> dealing with feedback is a thing that is getting in your way of making progress. Well, one thing that you can do is, um, actually, before I even say what you can do, let me just tell you about this, because I struggled with this. I remember this is this is one of like <laughs> the worst cases of feedback for me. 
I remember getting uh, a chapter back with feedback from my um, advisor and it had over 140 comments. The chapter was probably what, 40, 50 pages and I had 144 comments. My jaw dropped. I felt so discouraged. I thought I was the worst writer. And I told my friend at the time and she told me, wow, how amazing that your advisor spent so much time on your writing and gave you so much generous feedback. I wish my advisor did that because for her, her advisor was MIA, took forever to give feedback. And when the advisor did give feedback, it was not much feedback. And so she was struggling with the opposite problem of needing more help, more support, more feedback to make progress on her writing. And so that was a reframe that was really helpful for me because I realized instead of thinking, wow, oh my gosh, I'm such a terrible writer. Instead, I thought, wow, what an amazing opportunity to strengthen my writing, advance my research, keep growing my skill set. And I know it's a, it's discouraging <clears throat> when you first see it, but I would give myself some time and you should give yourself some time, maybe a day to sit with the uncomfortable feelings and then open up the document instead of avoiding it. And um and then deal with it little by little, break it up. If you have 140 comments like I did, label them, you know, label them as the green comments and the red comments. The green ones are the easy ones. The red ones are the hard ones and deal with the easy ones on the hard days, on the days you don't want to work, on the days you're low energy. Deal with the hard ones when you're working on it and you're feeling more energized or more focused. Um, but The point is figure out a system that works for you for managing both the emotional side of the feedback and the side of feedback of figuring out how to actually address it and um, work on your revisions. Okay, the last thing I'm gonna talk about is the imposter syndrome, imposter phenomenon, imposterization. I don't have time right now to really go through the differences between them. Although I did have a podcast episode with Dr. Lisa Sanchez, where she talked about the differences between imposter syndrome and imposter phenomenon and imposterization, uh, I guess in terms of how I interpret it is when you are being made to feel like an imposter because the system, the space is not supporting you in the way that you need. Uh, So that's feeling imposter syndrome, especially first gen, your student color, so, so common. Um, you might be feeling like a fraud, like they're going to figure you out, like it was a mistake that they let you in, like you could never write like other people are writing, you can never speak in jargon like others do. Um, and then sometimes it gets so bad to the point where folks not only stop writing, but they leave their programs altogether. And I don't want that for you. And so what do I want instead? I want you to do what I do and see if it works for you, which is to surround yourself with people who believe in you. Some people will believe in you sometimes more than you might believe in yourself. And it helps to have others believe in you because sometimes when you're starting out, them believing in you, they might they might believe in you more and they their motivation, their support can help you to build momentum and maintain that momentum 
Another thing that I do to help me when I'm feeling like I'm not good enough is to acknowledge my strengths. You can write them out somewhere, but keep track of the compliments that you get. Everybody has strengths. Everybody has strengths and everybody has strengths in their writing too. You might be creative. You might be good at connecting ideas. You might be good at summarizing and synthesizing information. You might be good at analyzing data. You might be good at conducting interviews. You might be good at organizing information. You might be good at explaining difficult topics in simple ways. Um, there's so many ways that you might have strengths in your writing process. And so reminding yourself, okay, I might not be the best writer, but there are parts of this process where I can incorporate my strengths. And um, yeah, I think that's, those are the two main things when it comes to how I manage the imposter syndrome phenomenon, imposterization. I surround myself with amazing people who motivate me, who inspire me, who believe in me. And I believe in myself. I remind myself of my strengths. And I, and I remind myself that I don't have to be perfect. My writing doesn't have to be perfect. My project doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be good enough because I believe in it enough that it needs to be put out in the world. And your dissertation proposal, your dissertation, your book, even if it's not perfect, the idea of it hopefully is strong enough that it deserves to be out in the world. It is. Your voice matters. So that's it for today. I hope that you found at least one thing today that was helpful. And if you did, send me a message. I love hearing from you all. Let me know what's working for you. Let me know what's not working for you too. Um, and I will talk to you all next time. Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three ways you can support the show. The first is to make sure you're subscribed and leave a review of the podcast. If you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, you become eligible for a free half-hour coaching session with me. Yes, that's right. One free session. Once you leave a review, you can email me a screenshot and I'll send you a link to sign up. The second way to show your love is to get yourself a copy of my free 15-page grad school femtoring kit, which includes resources on research, organization, grad school, and career prep. Go to gradschoolfemtoring.com slash kit to get it today. The third and last way to support my show is to follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and occasionally TikTok with the handle at gradschoolfemtoring. Thanks again and until next time.